Welcome to the third issue of Alumni Audio Lab, the new podcast of the OED. The OED is the Austrian Agency for International Mobility and Cooperation in Education, Science and Research. My name is Doris Bauer and in this podcast I will talk with alumni of our organization. They have all studied and researched in Austria and are now successful in their fields of work, which cover a broad range of academic disciplines. We want to learn about their personal and professional background and current research, their personal approach to their research interest and their motivation. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Labongo Constantine Loom. I'll say your full name just once. <laughs> sure. Thank you very much for being here at the Alumni Audio Lab. Thank you very much. I am very honored. Constantine, you are from Gulu in northern Uganda and you were a scholarship holder first within the North-South Dialogue Scholarship Program which was then integrated in the APEAR program, which is the Austrian Partnership Program in Higher Education and Research for Development. Yeah, that's It's true. It's a program of the Austrian Development Corporation. You achieved your PhD from the University of Vienna in Cultural and Social Anthropology, and now you're a senior lecturer at the University of Gulu, among other jobs and professions. Sure, that's true. Okay, then let's start our talk. Uh, I want to start today's podcast with your academic history. You started your academic career in food science and nutrition with an yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, um, with an excursion to agricultural development, and then you got your PhD in social anthropology, which at first sight sounds like they have not so much in common. How did it come this way? Oh, that's very interesting, actually. Um, my initial uh, interest actually was to do a medical degree, to be a medical doctor, and then I missed the mark by a few points, and then I went and did uh, food science, food science and technology, but I was mainly interested in the, new, the human nutrition. So I did food science and technologies, but when I was finishing, I was writing my thesis on human nutrition, And I was still very interested to work with people. So I thought, yeah, going to work in the hospital as uh, a nutrition expert would be very interesting for me. So I kind of left the industrial aspect of food science and technology. So I did human nutrition. So indeed, I was now working in the hospital where I was very interested in the first place. So I indeed also went ahead and did a master's program, still specialized in uh, human nutrition But of course, in the training, uh, the name of the, the course also had agricultural development, which was an aspect of that training. But still, the focus was really human nutrition. So the shift to medical, uh, cultural and social anthropology was because of that health experience in work. Because I was working in the hospital, so I, I had so many problems which are health-related, particularly HIV. Because I, uh, the nutrition unit was based in the pediatric ward, that is the ward for the children. So we were dealing with uh, pneumonia, malaria, HIV, TB, and many other things. So uh, when I thought about the relation between health and the way people live, then uh, I was already aware of this program. A friend of mine initially was here. He comes from my village in northern Uganda. So he was here. He had stayed here for quite a bit. So I used to communicate to him. Uh, when I was in Makere for my bachelor's degree, he used to be in Makere. At, uh, he was doing his master's and other postgraduate studies. So I knew him then. But somehow he found his way in Austria. So he was telling me about his experience. and that. So I, I really got interested. And then... When this uh, scholarship program, the North-South Scholarship Program for Austria, I got to know about it and through that colleague. So I, I searched around in Uganda how I could uh, get this thing, get apply for this scholarship. So I found out that there was this organization called Horizon 3000 and it was representing Austria for that scholarship. So I trace where they are. You know, I come from Gulu. It is 320 kilometers to Kampala, the capital city. So I went there and looked these people up. And yes, I got the. I was just in time because uh, it was the time for the application. So I picked the information. Then I started searching for this thing. Then I asked these people. I said, but uh, 
Do they study this thing in English? You know, Austria, I think they speak German. They said, yeah, it is German. Then I said, okay. Now they gave me this information. Then they said, you look now for your supervisors, which was one of the requirements. For to, the, to get your supervisor first, to get in touch with someone. Yeah, that's correct. And, and I, I didn't know anyone. I said, now I'm going to do this. This is terrible. After a few days, I went back to the office of the Horizon 3000. I said, but li really, looking at the websites is so difficult to, to figure out who to talk to. Is there any way you can help? Then the, the man said, okay, okay, sorry. I think we, we have some list of all these professors from the various institutions. I said, yeah, that would be a better, it's a better <laughs> would have, thing. Would have been very nice to get it at the first, in the first Precisely. place. Precisely. <laughs> so I said, what's going on? So he gave me, um, said, wait, you know, that, that was around 2006, coming to 2007 there. So we were still using this floppy disk, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this floppy disk. So <laughs> yes. the gentleman, he was an elderly man, but very, he's a very nice guy. So it was like an oversight. So he said, okay, I'm going to give you this thing. So he looked for an empty floppy disk, pushed it in his computer, a desktop, and then he gave me the list. I still have the list up to now. <laughs> really? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I still have that list. Yes, so, start, all started with that list. Yes, so. <laughs> it all started with that list. So I said, okay, let me look and see whether I can find uh, somebody whom I can really talk to. Then I look, and I think I had about 200 names, you can imagine, from Linz to Salzburg to many of these uh, cities in yeah. Austria. So I said, okay. I looked and looked. Then I, I zeroed on uh, like three names. Then when I looked, I said, but uh, I'm interested in something to do with public health because in my line of work now, nutrition, health, and many other things. So I'm really in that. So then I decided, I think I can only fit with one. This gentleman was doing international health and uh, this anthropology training. And I said, I think this is really what suits me. So thankfully for me, I, you know, I tried a few other, uh, I tried my hands in applying for a few scholarships. So I had written my uh, research protocol, which were pretty much in the, the health lines. So I just wanted a program that could help me do a study, uh, which is pretty much related to health. So when I, I sent, I, I zeroed on this one professor, then I sent him uh, via email now uh, my protocol. I sent him like around 10 in the morning on that day. I remember it was a Thursday, yes. Mm -hmm. It was a Thursday, so he, I just said, okay, let me just wait and see what happens. Well, strangely, by afternoon, I got a reply. Wow. Yeah, that was uh, very, very quick. So in the afternoon, the, the, the reply was very nice. Hey, gentlemen, your thing seems very good, so you can apply. I'm going to send you the cover letter. I said, really? This is quick. So I said, okay. So by that time, I had the forms. Now I really hastened to, to, you know, to fill the forms, get the recommendations and many things. And then the next day, that was Friday, the letter had come from him so it was that quick so i had all my you know the requirement for the scholarship so i just sent it and then uh again uh thankfully it was a very strange coincidence because this professor was already supervising two ugandans and uh, i had never known so it was just a strange coincidence and then we um and one of the the, 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 the student the scholar was in uganda then another austrian medical student because this was in the is in the medical department. So this medical student was also doing a practice in Uganda. So uh, as we started now relating with him, he told me, ah, I have these colleagues from Uganda also, I'm supervising. And then I said, wow, this is interesting. And then said, there's another a lady that's going to come, going to another town in Uganda, that is Ginger. So if uh, you have time and you can make your way, you can go and meet her. So I met both these guys. Mm -hmm. So it was really becoming so close and so nice and all that sort of thing. So I almost felt like I was going to get the scholarship the next day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a little bit funny. <laughs> so my application was complete. And then, yeah, to my happiness, I, I got the scholarship. So I was so happy and excited. And that's how I came to do the cultural and social anthropology, but with uh, a special focus on medical anthropology, mm -hmm. which I was doing with the supervisor mm -hmm. in the Medical University of Vienna. And then uh, I had another supervisor also in the 
at the Department for Social and Cultural Anthropology, which is where I was actually admitted. Because otherwise, uh, normally I should have been, if the medical department was admitting people, then I would have done it clearly within the faculty, the Medical University of Vienna. I think they have now adjusted. Now, people are working on it like yes, that. Yeah, that's yes, correct. now they have. Yeah. Uh, what is medical anthropology exactly? Yeah, medical anthropology is uh, a very interesting uh, program uh, which deals with uh, the understanding of health and the way people live, their cultures and their appreciation of diseases and health issues. So you find that anthropology in itself is a discipline that looks at culture, the way people live and their belief system. So when you add medical in it, you'll find that now it is the belief system of the people, the way of life uh, in relation to health or medicine. So in this case, it is really health. So now you can see the link between my coming from food technology to medic to yes. the, the culture, the culture and social anthropology, which, as I said, had the focus with uh, medical anthropology. Actually, actually, most of the work was done in medical anthropology. So my admission was more to do with uh, the practicality of the admission, and the work was pretty much in medical anthropology. This is uh, I don't know if you know that, but. This sounds for me, if it has a very strong aspect in, example, in African traditional communities. But do you know, is in Europe medical anthropology also a thing? Or isn't it so strongly related? Well, it, it, it certainly it has. Because, you see, for instance, if somebody tells you that green tea is, is, is healthy, so you have to, to either know the facts about green tea or... You simply have to believe that if you take green tea, it is healthy for you. Uh, you, you can see that uh, if you went to a supermarket, you went to any of these maybe health shops and many other things, you go and pick this treatment because you believe if you take it, it will help you in some way. Okay. So that, that is the belief system. So it happens really everywhere. everywhere. But, but in Africa, yes, it is pretty particular, for instance. Let me say... We have the disease. Let's talk about Ebola, for instance, which my supervisor has just been uh, consulting with WHO. Now, in some cultures in Africa, you find that if somebody dies, essentially they have to prepare the body for burial, right? In the modern way of doing things, they dress the, the dead body properly. You can imagine somebody's dressed in a suit or something, a nice dress, and then, yes, that's a respect for the dead. In some cultures in Africa, they simply have to wash the body. And uh, you know that we will not use gloves. You just use bare hands. So Ebola is terrible. The moment you touch any fluid around and it gets into your body or something, any of these pores and things, yeah, that's the spread of the, the disease. And suddenly, within a very short while, you should be dead. So now you can imagine if... We are so uh, this culture is so deeply ingrained in the people, so you find that they would say, "Okay, this is our dead, so we still need to wash the body anyway." So the understanding is that now, when we know that that is the culture of the people, and uh, the people are affected by Ebola, then it would be easy for us now to talk to them. We have, of course, to go through the the gatekeepers, say the the local leaders, the the cultural leaders, and tell them, said yes. We respect this culture, but can we suspend it for now? Because this disease, as you see it, is killing everybody who gets in touch with a sick person who is already having Ebola. So by letting the local people know that, yes, we appreciate their cultures, but the culture is killing their own people yes. right now. So we have to approach it from that very simple but you know understandable way. But if you just go and say, okay, please don't wash the bodies, then you find resistance. Yeah, sure. Yeah, people kind of say, okay, what, what are I coming up with? Who are you? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that is precisely what it is. Yeah. So then understanding cultures and relating it to health, it is really a very useful thing. You started your academic career in Uganda, in your home country, but already in 2000, you made your first academic step in Europe and Belgium, I think. Yes, that's correct. Uh, mm. Which way did your academic journey take you in globally said first Uganda then Belgium what uh, I think you've also been in another country can you tell us a little bit more about 
about your journey? Yeah, my journey as um, yeah, I, I have just moved around. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah, I've been a little bit. Well, it all started, uh, I think, in my high school. I had some people travel to to Europe, particularly to Britain, and uh, some of my relatives. They went there, and then they told me, "Okay, we are staying here." Actually, they they went as refugees. This this was we had conflict in northern Uganda. Then yes, they, I will talk about yeah. that later. So they they went there. Then said, oh, "But you could apply and uh, come and study in the UK if you want." Then I said, "Okay," I did follow that advice. I applied. That was in high school before university. So I applied to go to a university in the UK. Then, of course, I applied naturally to go to our local university, which was Macquarie University. So, uh, interestingly, I was admitted in both. So, that was University of Reading, and it was to do actually food science. And I was also admitted in Macquarie to do food science. You see, the same course. But the UK one, the admission was without the, the money, the scholarship to study. But uh, Macquarie, I was admitted on government scholarship as well. So I kind of missed that opportunity to, to go to UK. Then I went and studied in uh, Makere in Kampala. So, but somehow that uh, opportunity kind of inspired me more. And I said, okay, I think uh, since I got admission, I will keep trying. So while uh, the four years I was in, um, in Makere, I was writing to many universities in Canada, in the, U- in the US, UK, and some Euro- European countries. So I, I kept writing. So by then, of course, it was uh, most of these informations they come uh, in the paperwork, you know, in prints. So they, 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 it was interesting. They used to send me these uh, what we call the prospectus, the, the information about schools, uh, programs, and maybe scholarship information as well. So I, I simply got to know about these things, and I kept on, you know, imagining that at one point I would actually get out there, <laughs> and I, I just wanted to do it. Like I see some people getting out, and I said, okay, I think I should do it too. So that was my aspiration all along. So when I finished my career, I certainly immediately, I kept on now trying. I said I want to do my master's as uh, quickly as possible. So I was doing it. Then I didn't have the luck. Uh, and, and it, wait, wait, sorry, where, uh, where did you do your master? Also at Macarera? No, 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 in, in, in Belgium. The next step. Yes. <laughs> so I started work around uh, 96, in 96, and in 90s, from 96, I started making applications. So I kept on, kept on. The first uh, the year, 97, nothing. 98, nothing. 99, nothing. I said, wow, what's going on? <laughs> okay. And that taught me a lot about scholarship. It's not a guarantee. You just have to apply. But some people are lucky. You, they apply one time and they get it. And it doesn't mean the people who are applying and fail are making bad applications. Some are really making good applications. So it depends who really sits on the panel to choose this thing. There are very many things that uh, happens with the scholarship. So three years on, four years on, nothing. Actually, in this way, as I had tried various countries, Britain, US, mm-hmm. where, Europe, Norway, Sweden. Have you oh. thought about giving up? Giving up was, yes, at one point. In the third year, I was so frustrated. I have to admit, I was so, so frustrated, really frustrated. Then I, then I said, okay, let me just try it. Then the, another friend told me, ah, there's this Belgian one. I know you're trying this thing. Can you try the Belgian thing? I said, okay, let me give it a shot again. The only good thing with this failing is that it teaches you. So you simply have to learn to keep going because it teaches you. Sometimes it teaches you strength. Even if you're sad, you go and um, lie down or run, run and get the steam out. And the next day he said, okay, I think it was a false start. Let me try again. So this time I relaxed. Then I said, ah, let me give it another try. And I, I went. And you know, the, the funny thing with uh, this is another challenge with the scholarship thing. If you don't live in Kampala, then it was very difficult. But thankfully, this, this time around, it is only about personal interest because most of this thing is on the Internet. The application forms, sometimes you apply online, which you can do from anywhere. So that's now the beauty. Yes. So it was so disadvantaged if you didn't know. So anyway, I went and picked the form and uh, I came, filled it up and went, went, did everything. I, really, I was really very good at getting this thing done. So yeah, I sent, waited. Then after some time, this mail comes and then uh, they tell me, okay, you've got this 
scholarship. We are very happy to inform you. I didn't believe. Okay. <laughs> you can't be serious. I didn't believe these guys because I already got used to failing. Yes. <laughs> don't lie to me. Yes, don't lie to me. This, I think this must be a mistake. So I said, okay. Then they said, in two weeks' time, another letter is going to come. So that now you start preparing yourself. Go to the embassy again to Kampala and see whether you can start getting your... Uh, you know, I had already had my passport and all these things. I was very ready. After that, then, I kept this information to myself. I said, no, I will first wait for that letter to come again to see whether these guys have not made any mistakes. So I waited for two weeks. <laughs> I didn't tell anyone. I was just going about. I keep looking. I said, is this real? You know, I would pick the paper every day and I see... <laughs> But the letter came. The letter came. Now, this time, they were instructing me to go to the embassy in Kampala. Then I said, okay, it seems it's getting serious. I boarded my bus, went to Kampala. I introduced myself, said, hey. They called me, said, hey, you're, you're coming here. What do you want? I said, you know, I'm told uh, I should come here because uh, I've been offered a scholarship. Are you sure? I said, yes. Then they said, what's your name? I said, my name's Loom Constantine. They said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Congratulations. You have this thing. Said, have you brought the, the the passport and some of this thing? I said, yes, yeah, they are. They did the administrative work. They said, okay, your passport is going to remain with us here. So I think that's all. You go back and we'll call you. Yeah, after I think uh, a month or so, then the, the visa was now ready. So they gave it to, they, they called me that I could go and pick the thing. So I went to Kampala and then I see the visa is there. Then I said, okay, I think I'm really going. You know, <laughs> and yeah. then you started telling the people. <laughs> yes, but I was not even straight. I was just telling them. I think I might. <laughs> <laughs> it looks good. <laughs> yeah, it looks good, but I'm not yet certain. You know, so I said I think I might. Uh, I just was telling a few guys, and then I said, yeah, it looks like I might get uh, a scholarship after all. So I kept on. Yeah. So uh, indeed, uh, I was then. I'm very confident. We were now communicating with some of the people in, in Belgium. I was going, mm -hmm. uh, I studied in Ghent University. So the, the coordinator of the program was already writing to me as well. So I said, okay, I'm looking forward to coming there. So I think I was more open now to people when I was left with like three weeks to go. Then I was telling them, look, I've got a scholarship. I will be definitely going. That was now, of course, I was working in the hospital then. I had to get some administrative work done, letters and many other things. So that was done. So I went to Belgium. I stayed there for two years because the program was a one-year program. And then the, they said it was a postgraduate international degree. So, you know, the, the, the nature of labeling the degree was a little different. So they yes. said, if you feel like you can continue with the master's program, then we give it up. And that's how I had to stay another. It was one year. So I stayed another two years. And then that's how I finished. So from there, I already had this feeling that can I finish even my doctoral program and then just go back and rest at once. <laughs> yes. So I didn't have the opportunity immediately in, uh, in Belgium, Ghent. So I, then I was applying. I applied to some school in Scotland and they actually took me. They gave me a partial scholarship. So I, I was talking to a professor, a lady. So I went and indeed I processed my documents. I went home, got a visa to the UK and I went there. So I went and stayed there. We started for six months. Uh, but unfortunately, this supervisor, the lady had applied to, tr to transfer to another university. New Scotland is up. And then yeah. she was going to Plymouth. Okay, that's far in the south. Very down yeah. there. Yeah. So I said, no. Then she said, Constantine, I have to go. But uh, there is this uh, colleague who can take over. But of course, again, another thing, the colleague was not so much in the line of work we were doing, but he said, okay, I will try to keep around, keep you on, and then we see whether it works. Then another problem was partial scholarship. So I had to look for the other bit, which the professor was willing to, to work on. But this other uh, colleague, the professor who was, I was left with was too busy. So eventually getting the money proved a little bit. And it was not so much money, actually strangely but i couldn't get the money because it was like in the two thousand pounds you can imagine it was just not much money then it became hard we applied in a number of places but uh, it was not coming up until eventually the university said oh, you better pay this thing up if not then we may have to terminate this thing yeah then eventually that was what happened <laughs> yes you, you had to, to to skip it Yes, I yeah. had to skip it. Mm -hmm. So eventually, I just wound up. I said, no, I'm not going to stay here. I'm just going home. Yeah. So I packed my bags and left. So I went back to work. 
when I was in Scotland, that's when my colleague was here in Austria. We were communicating because I, I used to be very good in proofreading things. Yeah. And he was doing his PhD. So he sent his documents, his, his work to me and I was reading. So then uh, as I was working on it, then he encouraged me. He said, no, I wish you could come and study. I said, but because I was now telling him the challenges I was facing. He said, if that is the, the case, then uh, you could even apply for this. But of course, this requires that you go home. That's why I was quickly able to just wind up. I was now coming to to try and see whether I could really finish, apply for this program in Austria. So that's eventually what motivated. Then I was, he was telling me of the programs that were here. Then I said, yeah, I think that should be suitable. So I rushed back. I made my application as I already explained. Then eventually I came here. And then when I finished, I went back home. I worked a little bit in the hospital, but then I now wanted to to be part of a you know training so which the hospital didn't offer me then I eventually I said now I am going to look for opportunity to you know teach and then one came and this is not in Uganda I ended up in Kenya so after I just kind of resigned from my work in the ministry then I said look I think I will I'm more interested now in teaching and doing research and I think uh, I would be better off maybe in a university so this one came very quickly and it, it was like a postdoctoral program. So I said, yes, this is the, the right thing to do after your doctorate program. So I said, I will be looking. And then this time I was now thinking, maybe I could try America, Britain, or maybe even Canada. Then I, I chanced on a program which was dealing with HIV. And, you know, HIV was the main thing that motivated me to do my uh, doctoral program. So since these people are working on HIV for nurses and other clinical officers in healthcare, so I thought this was very, very interesting. So I wrote to this lady. She's in, she was she's in Canada, in mm-hmm. the University of Ottawa. So the lady was quite interested. I said, okay, if that's the case, send me uh, your CV and uh, let's see. But it so happened they were in South Africa with the, the chancellor of this university in Kenya. It's a private university, but quite good in research work. So I sent them the document. Later, the, the message came that, okay, can we do a Skype? So we did a Skype, uh, we talked. Then they were thinking how, because I the postdoctoral program would be done in Canada. But now when they, and since they were together with the professor from Kenya, and they were in South Africa, so this, it was a very good opportunity for them to discuss the whole thing. So they said, now uh, we are doing this project in Kenya, because the application process for a postdoctoral program in Canada would take long. So if it is okay with you, we have this project ready in Kenya that you could come and join as a postdoctoral researcher. And then, yeah, we st- we, and then of course, at a later time, then we can arrange and you travel to Canada and see University of Ottawa and all that sort of mm-hmm. thing and moderate some classes if you like. I said, well, I think that is, uh, it's not about going to Canada, but I just wanted to get involved in a project and get so I'm on board if you like. So that was it. And you stayed in Kenya. Yeah, you I didn't go to Canada. No. Yeah, but but you also stayed connected to Austria, as as, as I know. Yes, pretty much. You've been to a, a peer project, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm, this, mm-hmm. Uh, the the program I mentioned before. Yes. From 2014 to 2016, where your team, amongst others, uh, developed an and implemented a master's program for medical anthropology at Gulu University at Omnia University. That's right. Which background had this project? Well, as I said, I was in Kenya. And, uh, of course, these people gave me the opportunity. And uh, I went to Ottawa, actually. I stayed there for three months. The background to this project, the peer project, Master's in Medical Anthropology, was because uh, we already had a very good working relationship, really, with our uh, professors. And as I said, Professor Amin Prince, you know, he was our supervisor. He is such a great man. He already supervised many students from Africa. He has sent so many Austrians to Senegal, Tanzania, Uganda, Kenya, and many of these other countries that he has had his work with. The issue of this uh, appear, you know, project came up. Then Professor Amin, of course, was working hand in hand with uh, Dr. Kutalek. So somehow we were all very keen. And uh, Dr. Kutalek was very, very, you know, hardworking. You know, we found three of us in the same place from Uganda. That was terrible. Or rather beautiful. 
that was that was quite amazing. It was such a very strange coincidence that three yes. Ugandans were being supervised by the yes. same person. The way it happened to me it was such a strange, you know, coincidence. And it was three uh, Ugandan future medical anthropologists. Exactly. Yeah, because these two were from Makere. Maybe they had their. Of course, they came at different points, mm -hmm. but I think they consulted. Me, my coming was just by strange luck. As I told you, 200 at least names in the list, and I just picked one, and it turns out is what could bring me the scholarship. So anyway, we had that connection. As I said, Dr. Kutlik was already very active. See, we worked with them to publish in, in, in a book, and she was really very hard working on that with... Um, Uh, some printing services in Germany, in mm. Berlin. So we contributed in uh, uh, book chapters within our, you know, unit there. So we produced a book, which was quite a very, very interesting. For me, that was very nice because I thought that was a very good experience. So anyway, once we left, we now the appear call came. So we thought, why not? I think mm. this is for people like us who've just been trained by their appear program. So we were very, very excited to team up and then try to make this application. So we worked very hard on that. I already had talked also to Gulu University about a possible opening so that I could really teach there. But of course, they told me, okay, uh, you can contact the dean and see whether you can make your application so that you are considered. Yes, I, you know, I already did something uh, very interesting. Uh, when I was still doing my doctoral program, With the scholarship, normally your supervisor has a, a, an opportunity to visit the field research uh, area. So Professor Amin came to, to Gulu. And by then, as you know it, I was not yet in Gulu University. I knew the people there, yes. I used to work with them. Uh, so I thought, okay, I think it, is, it would be nice if I introduce Amin to these university people. Because it would be good for collaboration. That was my thinking which was, I think, very useful because I took Amin to the dean of medical school. So I introduced him there. I took him also to another missionary hospital, which is also a teaching hospital for Gulu University Medical School. So I took him also to the director there. Along that time now, uh, there came a time when I was still here. Out of that introduction, the dean of uh, medical school had a, Uh, a conference in Germany somewhere here. So we knew about it. And then, of course, uh, Amin and Dr. Ruth, Dr. Kutelek decided, look, if while you're in Germany, I think you can already visit Austria. So we made a quick arrangement. We booked a flight for the dean of medical school. He flew here to give a talk, actually, to the medical students. You know, he's a psychiatrist. So uh, Amin and uh, Dr. Kutelek thought it was very useful if we already engage him so the, the dean came up to vienna here and i was the one showing him around now because i knew vienna a little bit yes. better <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah so you see we already had that uh, close that contact connection. yeah and that was very advantageous i thought it was nice that uh, i introduced um, professor amin to the people in gulu university because since he's coming from a university there could be something mm -hmm. and yes we had this project yeah. because it was the dean was a, a A very a main key partner in the in making the application and writing signing some documents for the application so it was very very nice that we already knew him in advance yes that is what happened yeah and mm -hmm. my colleague told me the first alumni of this medical anthropology master's program should be finishing soon yeah um, we had some delays first okay. and foremost you know when you do a curriculum it has to be process through the the education council of the country what we call the accreditation process so the accreditation took very long and that was quite unfortunate for our project because mm -hmm. you know a project has a life yeah it has a life so that kind of causes a little bit of unexpected problem uh, because when you send these documents to the for instance the national council of higher education in Uganda, they, they demand certain things. They want to come and see, do you have the facilities? Of course, those are procedures. But it was too bureaucratic and it was so long. So we had that delay. And uh, normally we should have already 
uh, graduated our first mm-hmm. lot and indeed we still have students coming up so we certainly i would say we already have uh, graduates of the medical anthropology program and that mm-hmm. is a good thing and uh, i can say the graduation should have taken place last year mm-hmm. but unfortunately at the time of setting certain passing certain documents to allow them actually graduate the head of department i think was away and these documents were not sent in time unfortunately by now we should have already have this graduate so that was the, the unfortunate thing again but these people are already ready with their documents they've published their thesis and uh, i think right now they should be also already marked they're waiting for the next graduation but one good thing is i think at least one one of the the beneficiaries of this program uh, got a job based on the, the training in medical anthropology which was quite nice because uh, we have this Italian organization AFSI AFSI works in very many countries and in Uganda in particular and in my town Gulu so they pick this gentleman because he had that very right qualification to really uh, do the work for them and i think uh, they are not disappointed with him he's doing a good job so that is quite exciting to see that your products are now uh, mm-hmm. doing a good thing Okay, for my next questions, we have to go back a little bit in the near history from, from northern Uganda. You decide how much you want to talk about that. Yeah. There was a brutal civil war going on for around 20 years in northern Uganda. The Lord Resistance Army led by Joseph Kony against the troops of Uganda at the expense of the population, you can say that. True. And can you tell us a little bit more about this conflict and also how it influenced your life and maybe also your academic life? Yeah, the, this conflict was very unfortunate, right? Yes. Yeah, Uganda, you know, we have a, a very tough past, I could say, which has been marked by civil conflicts and a lot of these things. You remember we had this gentleman, Idi Amin, and all that in, from independence and things. So, yeah, our, our history is, is quite a bit of conflict there. And then, of course, uh, it's quite historical anyway, you know, these things. So what happened is that the current president Museveni, you know, came 30 years ago in 1986 and um yeah, when things were not going so well in the country then. So actually the the conflict has a very historical context with uh, this colonization if I may say. You know, with the way the British did thing in the in Uganda. One strange thing was the people in the north in my place generally the northern and eastern part of the country you know the british recruited them as the military people the people who are supposed to be guards and what not while the people in the central where the city is the capital city where the people were trained to be clerks in offices and many other things so you know the military was by then said you know whatever they decided about recruiting people that is how they did it so you know many people from the north we are pretty much in the army yes but it, does, it didn't mean exclusively but yes other people from other parts even the south there were in the army and all that sort of thing so yeah and then uh, what happened was as the 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 coming of the the current president Seveni was now coming down some of these military people said okay we just don't want to get back to the army anymore we want to settle down and just live ordinary life and stuff like that But of course, you know, a, uh, a conflict is conflict, yeah? There are a lot of strange things that happens. Killings, destruction, property, and, you know, lives lost and many things. So I think some of these guys, uh, they were not magnanimous in their victory, you know? So when they came north, they certainly were not very calm. Some of these fighters of the, of the current president. So a lot of these people came out the former soldiers who decided we are, we lay down our arms we don't want to fight anymore so they did that but of course everything come down actually but then some of the the military commanders of Museveni were not very nice guys instead of using the opportunity to ensure that peace comes uh, quiet comes they again started mistreating these military fellows and that is the beginning of the conflict yeah so when these people were we were seeing the mistreatment of these uh, former soldiers and it never stopped there they went also to some of the local leaders elders that we thought were beyond you know any of this thing even if they didn't do anything 
So that is where we had the first resistance coming up. By this lady, we used to call her Alice Lakwena. That was the first thing. Yes, this used to be called a priestess, many things. If you look back there, you find Alice Lakwena came up and it was crazy. Because now she used a very strange thing. Everything was all about uh, religion, beliefs, and you know. So Alice came up and she threatened Museveni so much. Because Alice used a mythical way of recruitment of young people and using beliefs that look here. If I get a stone like this and I throw it at you, it can explode. It was so strange. And many of these former soldiers, they needed somebody to identify with. So these people joined Alice. People were discontent with the mistreatment coming from the former you know, soldiers. I mean, from the, the, the current, the then government soldiers now. They said, no, I think that's the best place to be to resist this kind of uh, mistreatment. Everybody went. Those who really felt that was the way to go. So they went there and they were now following up the instruction of this, you know, kind of religious priestess. Leader. Yeah, yeah. that sort of thing. But it became strange because people were believing that this thing were true. That if he picks a stone and then and then we had this thing of the, the sheer butter, nut. There's this tree which produced this very nice oil which is now being used yes, for cosmetics. Yes, it's also yes. used in Europe. Exactly. Yeah, so I we know. have it a lot in northern Uganda. Yeah. So this oil, Ali said, if you smear on your body, even bullet will not get you. You can imagine now. But they, right, they, yeah. they had few guns and most of the time they used the stones. They believed it. Ali went from Gulu up to Jinja in the south. Anywhere she was going, people were just running. Away or to her. Away. Away. <laughs> and she really threatened the, the government. Because okay. this time, even the sol- soldiers were running. Then Museveni mobilized his troops in a very high-level way to confront Alice. And yes, so many people died yeah. along the way. So many of these Alice followers, even soldiers. Because, yeah, it was now pitch battle. I think they fought in Ginger and then they, they eventually managed to break her back. So, yes, they broke her back and then some of these again ran back north and all that sort of thing. And it became now very serious. Mm-hmm. Because now they were in the east. She ran to Kenya. She was hosted there as a refugee in a camp. And that's where she died. By that time, Alice had already planted the same mentality. Because Alice and Joseph Cohn, they are kind of like related in a way. So by the time Alice was defeated, Cony was emerging. Cony took over from Alice, and that was chaos now. So yeah, this is really the, the, the source of the problem. And Cony continued in that same line of spiritual belief and all that sort of thing. So the recruitment methods was, of course, they come and abduct the young people. They, that's where they got their strength. They abducted all kind of people, the elderly, the children. But their focus was on children. I got a taste of that abduction myself. I was in high school, so they came for us. You know, I was training to become a priest myself, incidentally. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> How did it come to this? Yes, I, I, was, uh, I was in the seminary. I wanted to become a priest. Actually, this, this conflict disorganized the whole program. Because uh, when they came to the seminary, the seminary didn't, normally doesn't, uh, didn't have that many students in high school. Because from primary... We have these four years of high school, ordinary. We call it ordinary, yeah. secondary. And then we have two years of advanced secondary. So when I was doing my ordinary secondary in the seminary, that's when uh, this book came for us in 1988. And mm-hmm. we were now finishing, you know. So these people came one morning and we didn't know what was going on. We did, the whole school was surrounded and they had their interest. They needed, because they knew we were seminarians and we were part of the diocese, the Catholic diocese there. And they knew if they picked us, yes, the issue will be very <laughs> magnified. Mm-hmm. And they achieved that, actually. So they picked us. They picked 23 students. And I was among them. So we, we didn't know what to do. Because the interesting thing among the, with that occasion was that the youngest person among the, the 23 students, the youngest person, was older than some of their 
the rebel fighters that came to abduct us. Fighters. Yes, we these were child soldiers of yeah. uh, the LRA now. They came. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 youngest among us yeah. was already older. How that, how old was the youngest? I think the youngest was about uh, 13, about 13 there. And the soldiers were even younger. Younger, yes. So that and then you know they told us along the way they said, you know, look at these guys here. These young boys are much younger than you, so you know, you're very good materials for our work here. This is what it told okay. us. We were really scared. Said, "Wow, sure. what are we gonna do?" So we walked. They they got us anyway. So we walked. We stayed with them for two weeks. As we continued, they uh, they said, "Okay, you keep calm." And indeed, we were very special in that group of abducted young people. There were very many already. At, along with them and and that of course include these other young child soldiers that were already with them and they were already carrying, carrying this AK47 and we said wow we are going to go there so we we walked with them for a week in one direction in the eastern direction no western of of gulu the west west of gulu town as you know gulu is already on the way to south sudan So we walked in that direction going like we are going to South Sudan but on the western side. So we we stayed there for a week. And of course government soldiers were not really following us that much. But you know this guy was very clever also. Why not? Why why weren't they, they Well, the, the biggest problem was if they engage these people then many 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 people would die. Okay. Because there were already many many hundreds of people that were already abducted and they were walking together with them. And of course for them as i said they were also very smart most times uh, as they move they already put a deterrent force on the way so as the last person of that uh, trail is is moving behind there they have their people with guns waiting for any of the excur- excursion of the the government forces so along the way there we move like that and sometimes they would come very close and they engaged but each time they come closer the command was move so we would take off so we definitely move and we didn't have any serious engagement with the, that the government forces would come and attack us directly no we didn't have that but we are on the move all the time then after one week on this western part now we decided to cross the main road going to sudan we cross but uh, on that seventh day of our stay in the as we were actually crossing the road uh, the intelligent information to the government troops was that yes the LRA are crossing again this place somehow from the barracks the military barracks of government troops they sent a, a plane a piper they call it a piper which was mounted with machine gun inside so they sent that plane and started flying over our heads and as it would fly very close down to us and they were shooting we didn't know up to now i didn't know whether they were shooting at us or they were simply scaring people and i think they were simply scaring this is what i did. yeah but you don't know then i didn't I know mean, anyway we didn't know, know. we were just scared we started yeah. running because these people had warned us and they gave us a warning that uh, look if any one of you decide to leave or escape they would pick one of our of us and mm-hmm. kill so we were very worried that uh, no one should even attempt to escape but, yeah but how did you escape yeah i'm coming to the story we didn't escape actually we just were released just let okay yeah but it was a special care uh, release also so um that incident really scared us because we were 23 then when calm had been restored they this was started collecting people but many people i think as i said these people are simply scaring the group so that many could escape and indeed many people escaped actually they got the opportunity that was their opportunity to now run away and they they succeeded very well so in that event also three students actually vanished now we didn't know thought now with these guns maybe they shot them we were so worried but we moved them anyway because now we told these people yes we we don't know where these people are but three are missing so that's it So they also started finding out whether then later we found out they they reached the school. So that was for us now. They didn't do anything to us because that was not our problem. So mm-hmm. 
Then after reaching, uh, uh, because each time we move, they locate a place which is safe, then people camp. They also station their uh, reconnaissance troops to, to monitor the, 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 the movement of the, the government forces. So if there's anything so serious, then they would come and tell the group, please leave everything you're doing, let us move. That was the way things were done then. So we, we would move. As we come the next day, because it was later in the evening, then one of our students again became ill. Then we told them that, look, this boy is very sick and I think they need treatment. So they said, okay, we'll take this one back. So they took that one uh, pupil, I mean student, back. So we, rem- we remain now 19. So that means four now uh, out of, let me call it danger kind of. So now we stayed after two, three, four more days. I don't know what came into their mind. Because you see, their interest was for our release, the diocese should give them food, uh, should give them medicine, should give them maybe other things that they wanted, Mm -hmm. maybe blankets, whatever. So that was their interest. But I think the key one was medicine and uh, some other resources like salts and many of these things. That was, the I think, their intention. But of course, government also said, um, I think during that period, that two weeks, one very important soldier was killed from the government from- side in an ambush, which was set by the LRA. And this guy was important because I think he was a university graduate and then, and he was just a captain, but very influential because he had an office that he was doing for the, for the army. So I don't know what happened, but he was killed. And that made the government very, very, very mad now at the LRA. And I think from that time, the situation escalated. It was not now. Let me say there was no romance now between LRA and government. If they meet, it was fighting. And then they started active following up of these people because of that incident of killing that captain. So government also warned the, the, the diocese that, look, nobody should intervene with these guys. Anybody who gets himself talking to these guys would be arrested and charged with treason or something like that. So that means you'll be going to jail somehow. So people were a little bit afraid. But for us now, about the, the 10th, 12th days, I think Joseph Korn and his commanders decided, I think these guys need to go. We need to send them back. But before they send us back, they decided to pick two of our prefects, our leaders among mm-hmm. the students, that mm-hmm. they should go back to the seminary. So these two were picked and sent to the rector. And they, the, the, the purpose was to invite him to come. Of course, quietly. You remember yeah. I told you government already said nobody should really be in touch with these guys. So these two guys were escorted safe enough close to the seminary and they were released to go. So they went. They were given proper instruction that at this time you must be here with, the, with your rector so that we can we move with you and can escort you back again. So they did exactly that. And the rector said, for my student, I'm going. Quietly, of course. Now, without informing the, the government uh, authority that they were leaving, he was coming. So he came. So he was he's a priest, of course. So mm-hmm. he moved with these two guys. They, they were intercepted by this other LRA at their rendezvous. So they moved back. And the priest actually went and sat with Joseph Cohn and they, they talked. We were not in that meeting. It was him, Joseph Cohn, and some of the, the commanders for Cohn. So they had the meeting... For like, uh, I think they, ar- they arrived around 1 p.m. And then they started the meeting around 2. So they had, I think, a two hours meeting with this priest. So they talked, talked, talked. Then, of course, when the priest came out and said, yeah, you are released. We are going. And that was like 5 p.m. Then they said, okay, I think you can stay here overnight and you go in the morning. We said, oh, no, I think we want to go. go now. <laughs> We really want to go. So that, that was the unanimous agreement with everyone. We didn't want to stay in that place. Then they said, if you want to go now, we are going to provide you with our escorts. And then they take you to a safe place and then we leave you there and then you go. And that is exactly what I did. So they took us for a kilometer or two where it was fairly safe. But it was night time. So we went and found a home. And there were two persons, two elderly persons, you can imagine. A woman and the and the husband, the rest of the children, everybody was not there. The home was alone with mm-hmm. uh, with these two. So we, we, we took refuge there and we stayed the night. Of course, you know, everybody would go to town 
and uh, we you know we had this incident we call it the night commuters the night commuters so if if you you google night commuters in 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 gulu you would see okay so the night commuters are children who commute from very far home to come to town for safety mm-hmm. then early in the morning they walk back they sleep in the in the veranda of the town like they would come to any veranda in 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 the city here they anywhere where there is protection sleep. yeah they mm-hmm. they walk with their blanket and mats they put it there and sleep there because they are now fearing abduction so the night commuters became such a very common terms during those uh, those those times so the home was alone and then uh, we sat with the, the it was quite very sad situation finding just only the elderly and they were just there so we stayed there and then Five in the morning, five a.m. Said we need to create some distance between us and these people. <laughs> we really wanted to get away, so we did that. We walked, and then by eleven a.m. I think we walked for like three, four, five hours. Then we were in town in the school. Then of course um, we sent information to the government that ah these people released us and because they they didn't get what they wanted they didn't get the salt they didn't get the medicine because there was a strong warning from government they saw no reason why they should keep us so they released that was the reason of course i think the the priest did not tell them that he had to go and talk to him before that was now something he couldn't do so that was it really so we came out and we were doing the national exams in the next month you know it was two weeks of interruption so it was crazy Then uh, we came, then we were now afraid. I said, these people might come again and disturb us. So what do we do? So they sent us to town. In town, we found the situation not comfortable for our studies. Then we decided, no, we are coming back to the seminary. If they come back, we will see. So what we did, we came back. During the day, we are in the compound. You know, things happen during the day. But at night, we used to sleep now in the ceilings of the roof. So we would go there and uh, we put our small lamp and read from there, preparing for exam, which was coming now in a month's time. So we did that and uh, yeah exams came we did so after that then I had my sister was in Kampala then I ran away from Gula I said no let me go and relax and keep quiet there a little bit so from there now I could not come back to the seminary that's how my priestly uh, aspiration stopped because from there now I had to go to advanced high school in another town because now I was fearing to go maybe I would get up and of course many uh, many other students again were abducted later on reabducted so that happens many people would escape and reabduction would take place if you are not lucky this time you would probably get killed because those who escape are subject to killing you remember they warn us if any one of us would escape they would pick one, one would kill one. Mm-hmm. yeah to call to tell us that escaping is not a good thing but of course people always tried their luck they really wanted to yeah so this thing was very disruptive and uh, Yes, when I went back, of course, after finishing my university education, I really wanted now to work in the hospital. Normally they were they were not even posting government was not posting people in the north. Anyway, people outside the north would not go there because they said, "Why should I go in the north? Because I would get killed." Yeah. <laughs> so everybody was fearing to go there. So at some point, my posting was delayed. Then later, I said, "But Okay, if you're not now posting me, delaying my posting, why don't you send me back home? I think I really want to go back home. I pleaded with them. Somehow they agreed. But it was a very important decision because when I came and joined the hospital, because, you know, LRA could come up with strange pronouncements like, you should not work in your gardens. You know, like I said, they're doing this spiritual thing. The Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. they said they wanted to rule with the Ten Commandments of the Bible. So they would also come with their extras. Don't walk on a Friday. Don't ride a bicycle. If they find you, they would actually kill you. They cut hands. They mm-hmm. can even cut lips. They did all kind of terrible things. Very bad. So yeah, it was chaos. Life was not good. People were not productive, and malnutrition was very high. And that is very uncommon because in the north, we are known to produce very good food: sesame, you know, groundnuts. And we always had food, really. So malnutrition of children, particularly, was so bad. So I def came straight to the pediatric ward, and that's where my service was very useful. Mm-hmm. Because now I trained the nurses, I helped the clinical officers now to directly work on nutrition issues. Now telling the mothers how to manage their children and their husbands who come there, we work with them. We set up a small garden, 
vegetable gardens, how to improve nutrition. World Food Program was giving us soya corn, soya blend, uh, mice and soya grounded together and made as flour. We also had milk of medical mix. We call them Formula 1, Formula 75, Formula 100 and Formula 75. The Formula 75 is for those who are really young and sick while the Formula 100 for those who are a little bit strong if you had this very high level of malnutrition. So we worked there for quite a bit and it was a useful thing. I was quite happy that I came there because my work was directly helping to save. We lost so many kids. First of all, you know, this is a block path routes to town. In the community health centers outside town, they were not functioning. Everybody ran away, so there are no treatment sites in most of these places. So things were not very nice. Gulu Hospital now became the, the main place for all this rehabilitation for children. And then we, the, where the UPDF were stationed and people could stay around, yes, those were the supplementary centers where if you came from near any supplementary centers, now you get your extra food from there. If any problem comes, then you are referred to the hospital. So that's how we were working. So yes, it was really difficult yeah. because production was low. And then the killings affected almost all homes in the north. Somebody related to you kind of must have got killed from in this conflict. So yes, people are traumatized. Up to now, the trauma is still there. So we still have to work a lot. And suddenly the Department of Faculty of Medicine in Gulu University, we are doing a lot in the community on psychiatry and you know psychological mobilization of the people in gulu we had um and we probably still have at one point there was in some place there was a very serious problem of suicide you can imagine because of poverty people are not able to send their kids to school even for very small pay they could not so people just are frustrated and they say come on life is kind of meaningless so we still have this problem so we are really struggling to settle this and it requires a lot of work yet mm -hmm. because I think what is clearly important is, um, and of course the, 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 the problem is going to be long because a lot of these young people, quite a lot, are out of work. They, they never went far with, with school and um, during the, the civil conflict, young people were living in camps and uh, this camps was for safety. And uh, they were not used to our cultural way of food production, self-reliance. So the social fabric was kind of disorganized, seriously. So you see, we have a problem because these young people, they never went to school. Right now, they don't have a clear-cut jobs. Yeah, they are picking some who are responsible, I mean, really want to pick up their lives. They are trying. They have picked, they have. Uh, taken up to this tuk-tuk uh, riding, border-border thing. Yes, they're doing that, some of them. Others are simply there, you know. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we now have this problem of... Um, no perspectives. And yeah, so that is there up to now. So yeah. we will still be working on social development and personal development. But of course, uh, I think agriculture is gaining some currency now. So... Of course, there are a lot of positive as well. Mm -hmm. Some young people are really picking up on agriculture, uh, pig farming, chicken, poultry, production, and many others. So uh, they are seeing the value. If they invest a little bit of time, they come up with something so they can maintain themselves. Mm -hmm. So that is, that is a good thing. I think we're running out of time a little bit. We're talking already for more than an hour. I would have more questions, but I think I'll just go with my last one. Sure. I think we could talk days about your topics and your, your life. Sure. But the last one, where should your academic journey go in the future? Do you have any plans? Uh, do you just see what's coming, where life is taking you? Well, uh, I think uh, I'm pretty much going to end my academic work at Gulli University. To end? At Yes. I'm going to be at Gulu University now. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Now yeah. I got it. Yes. That's correct. So, but um, I'm very keen on maintaining my close contact with the Austrian researchers. Mm -hmm. I think I have a very good working relations with uh, Dr. Ruth, Ruth Kutalek. Yeah. And uh, I feel if there is any serious uh, collaboration, we will keep doing it. I am still here. 
on the same line. So you can see I am very interested in working with Austria. I think I feel Austria is now my home. It is, gaining my doctoral program was really, really important to me. And since uh, Austria gave me that, I feel, I think you should give me an Austrian name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can just say Constantine. <laughs> it's an Austrian version of Constantine. Oh, so. yeah, I, I think that that, <laughs> that, that, that that would work rather good. That, that would work very well. So, yeah, certainly, I think that is really, interestingly, Uganda is a priority country for Austria. So I think primarily I like to engage with Austrian researchers also mm -hmm. pri in a, pri a priority manner. I think I love the, the OID people as well. You are very nice people out there. <laughs> uh, Professor Obrecht came to Gulu. We had a pin together. So I think um, I would invite him again to come. And uh, Doris, you are also invited. Oh, that's very nice. So come, that's very nice. Come to Gulu. Seriously, yes, yeah, I mean maybe. it. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'll come to Gulu. You better do. <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, I would even have love to maybe do a bit of lectures in uh, maybe uh, the medical university and other uh, maybe University of Applied Sciences that I'm going to uh, develop some interest. For instance, I'm going to make a, I'm going to present a paper in the Fakushule Vorarlberg in June. And I think uh, we are going to work with that institution as well. So I have that contact. So you can see Austria is really at my heart now. And of course, I am very happy with the, the scholarship team at ORD that have facilitated uh, my stay here. Uh, they have remained my friends, you know, Katharina, LK, and now yourself. Yeah, I think I think Austria can be grateful as well that they have such a good researcher and good scientists in you that has his PhD from Austria. That's that's also yeah, it's for Austria very good as well. Yes, certainly. So yeah. I think I've also liked it here, Vienna particular, but I've also visited other places. I've already been to Bougainland, I've been to some of these other, I passed Salzburg and then, uh, you know, some of these other places, they're really nice. Yes. So it is extremely exciting. I think the, 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 the people here are very warm. Vienna is well served with the transport system. I think life here is quite really interesting. It is it's certainly very good. I've enjoyed my chat with you. I think you will be my journalist if i may say i will be there when you snap your fingers Perfect. To come maybe we talk. can do a, a second part of our alumni audio lab talk just give me we a quick shot and then i'll be there okay okay yes. constantine thank you very much for being here for being my guest at the alumni audio lab and it's my pleasure so i'm happy to share my experience yeah thank you very much constantine you're welcome alumni audio lab <laughs>